Our scripture today comes from Romans 15, verses 8 through 21. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's true fullness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. friends that are joining us this morning. Um, so good to be with you. As you've heard, we are uh, continuing to study through the book of Romans. But also today is Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost is the day that the church celebrates to remember when the Holy Spirit came down right after Jesus had lived and died and been raised. He actually ascended to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit came on this small and ragtag group of folks in Jerusalem and began to do these amazing things, and that was really the beginning of the church. And these have been strange times. Um, This is right in the middle of all the COVID quarantine, and even as things are beginning to reopen, um, our communities in our country have had just so much. And even this week, there has been so much with um, 
the, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and now big protests and unrest in several of our cities. And it's been an overwhelming time. And as you've been home during this time, many of us have lost relationships, lost jobs. Um, as a church, we have been not meeting for now several months, and we've been coming to you in this way. And it's only natural to ask during these times, what am I actually even supposed to be doing? You know, everything pretty much that many of us were used to doing every day as part of the rhythms of our life have just gone away, evaporated for us. And I find myself just on any given Tuesday going, what am I supposed to be doing? How should I be saying, what is my purpose? What, what am I doing here? And as we all ask, what is our purpose? If I can't do the things that I was doing before, we come to this passage before us this morning, and I think that God has something really important and beautiful and full of hope and purpose for us. And simply put, it's the first verse from Romans 15, verse 8, where Paul, who was this Jewish man who was very committed to Judaism and actually had persecuted this upstart Christianity, is now taking this message, this good news that Jesus gives eternal life to non-Jewish people who he, informed, who he had formerly um, wanted nothing to do with. This is what he says. He says that, that Christ came, he became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jewish folk, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He's making good on his promises. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Simply put, if you are a Christian, and there's no assumption that you are, so glad that you're here and walking through this. If you are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what I think about this. I think there's a good word in here for you too. But if you are a Christian, Jesus rescued you and your people so that he could show his mercy to other people who are very unlike you and your people. Jesus rescued you and your people so that he could show his mercy through you to other people that are very unlike you and other peoples that are very unlike you. At Pentecost, like I said, God showed up in this very strange way. Throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, God had been showing up um, almost since the beginning as fire, as a flame of fire. Especially for ancient people, that's a very mysterious thing. How does it get going? How can we start it? Anything that gets close to a fire, it just is absolutely burned up and consumed. And that's what the image is for. If you get close to God, you don't come casually because he'll consume you in his holiness. And when they built this tabernacle, this place where God was going to come and, and be in this location and everyone could come to him, there was a fire in it on a menorah, on a lampstand in the temple. And that was showing that God was there. And if you wanted to be close to God, you came to the tabernacle. And then later you came to this big temple and you got close to the fire. And then after Jesus died and was raised and he had gone up to heaven, God the Holy Spirit came down to Jerusalem on this day of Pentecost, which we celebrate today, 
And he put little fires on top of people's heads. Super strange. Just imagine being on Trade Street and then all of a sudden people have like a little burning fire on top of their head. Maybe that happens on Trade Street. And what it's showing there is that his presence, which had been contained and you had to go to it, now has become contagious. That anyone that comes in contact within a six-foot radius, you could say, of one of these Christians, God's presence was going out from them and getting all over the place. God's presence went global. People ain't coming to the fire anymore, but now you and I and anyone that knows Jesus is carrying the fire of God's presence to the world. Um, if you're in a relationship or been in a relationship, you know that there are certain songs that become part of the story of your relationship. And um, one of the songs in my relationship with my wife, Sarah, that she really identifies with our story and has now become part of one of our songs is Holy Ground by Taylor Swift. And uh, we were listening to it the other day and my kids were dancing and I was just dancing with my wife and, and just crying just over how special, and I'm not even a big Taylor Swift fan, just how special this song was, but um, the chorus of that song, or the pre-chorus is like, uh, uh, darling, it was good, never looking down, and right there where we stood was holy ground. Everywhere a Christian person stands, since that day, thousands of years ago, and today, Everywhere a Christian person stands is holy ground because God's presence is in you and with you. And like right now with, with the physical and social distancing that we're all supposed to be doing to combat the spread of COVID-19, doesn't it feel more than ever that just like the, the, like you see the seats in here, we're trying to figure out how, to, how do we meet for, and get together but keep that holy space the six-foot bubble around you feels more impenetrable than ever, right? It feels like holy ground. Don't just step into it unless you're able to, unless you're invited to. How are you using that holy ground around you? Jesus rescued you so that his mercy could be shown to someone else. And then this other thing happened at, at Pentecost where everyone was there. There's all these people that have come for this big uh, feast day, this big religious holiday. And they all speak different languages. They all come from these different places. Some of them even came from Rome, which is uh, later on, Paul is writing this letter to Christians in Rome. Some of them were even there on this day. And all these people that spoke all these different languages, like if you've ever been somewhere and people around you are speaking a different language, it's disorienting because you feel like you can't enter in, you can't connect. But everyone that was divided by all those languages and all those cultural customs, suddenly they start hearing this good news about the mercy of Jesus, that God came to earth and he lived with us. He didn't worry about getting dirty. He didn't worry about keeping distance. He came to us and he lived with us and then he went and died and then he was raised so that we could come into the presence of that burning fire and not be consumed. They started hearing that in their own language so that they could understand it. Those who were divided by the world 
divided by languages and customs and places where they grew up and things that they took for granted. Those who were divided by the world became united in the Spirit. That God was gathering all these different people to a new people. He didn't obliterate their distinctions. He brought them together, each in their own language, to be one. Because the great desire of God is to be with his people from all over time and all over the world. And that answers one very um, real question for us. And especially if you're hearing this and walking through this and you're unsure about God and what he's like and what's going on, especially right now, it's really easy to ask, like, why, why are these things happening? Is there a grand narrative to this all? Is, it, is there a story beneath all this? There's one thing that is absolutely true if God has come in his spirit, and that's this, is that he is near. He's not distant. He's not away hiding in heaven. He's not an absent father. He's not for the religious insiders where he reveals something to them and hides it from everyone else. He's near now. He doesn't even say he's going to come walk with us. He says, I will come live inside you and I will put the fire in you. Don't you want to have that fire in you? And y'all, our world is so polarized. I mean, it's overwhelming. There is, it feels like there's nothing that we can do where we can be on the same page and do it together. We can't do a national day of mourning for those who died from COVID. It's now partisan. We can't respond um, to agree on how to respond when someone is killed by police. It's partisan. And no matter where you stand on any of that, you know that there are people like you and then there are people that aren't like you and you're supposed to be distant from them. And the question is like, um, well, before we get to the question, I mean, it's, it's so predictable. It's so boring. Isn't it boring to know that when something happens, you're expected to choose up a side and then get with it, like on social media or in conversations or what kind of news you consume? I mean, it's boring, it's predictable, and it's dangerous. Because nothing changes, right? We don't make any, any progress towards unity and reconciliation because we're so quickly played by the world. It is dangerous to, the, to those who actually need things to change. And don't you want to be working on something together? Like, isn't that what hope is? is, don't you want to be reconciled to people that you don't feel reconciled to now? Are you tired of doing life alone? Um, when I played, I played baseball as a, as a young person, I wasn't super athletic, but our baseball team um, in, I guess it was like fifth grade, we had white jersey shirts and white jersey pants. And I was terrible at baseball, mostly because I didn't put in the time to work on it. I was more interested in listening to music and uh, playing video games. And at the end of games, um, you know, we would take a picture, we would all get together to drink Gatorade. 
it was always really um, obvious who had been in the game and really playing and who hadn't. Because at the end, my jersey was always white and clean and everyone else had grass stains and that, that awesome red clay stains on their jerseys. And I think we look around at the world and it's frustrating and predictable and boring and we say, who's going to do something about this? And the question that the answer that Jesus is giving you right now and me right now is you are. This is your job. I mean, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, on some points I've written to you very boldly. I mean, these, these were like religious insider Christians from a Jewish background and religious outsider Gentile Christians from this pagan background. They're trying to live together. They're trying to figure out how to do it. That's part of what this whole book has been about, this whole letter. He says, on some points I've written to you very boldly because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, I've spoken to you using some harsh words because it's your job to go seek reconciliation with those that you, formally, that you just don't like. You don't have anything to do with. We are the ones who God has called to do something about it because God wants to make from all the peoples on the earth one blessed and beautiful family. And this is why like white nationalists or anyone who wants to separate races, you know, and sees that it's good for those races and ethnicities and people groups to be separate is inherently anti-gospel because it's against what the whole good news of, of the Christian faith is about. Many, you know, white supremacists or folks that dabble advocate for Christianity because they think it reflects some kind of like European heritage that they mythologize as being this, um, this golden age. You know, but Christianity didn't start in Europe. People in Europe received the good news of Jesus because people in the Middle East said, I have the spirit, I got to take it to people that I don't like and that aren't like me. It began in the Middle East and was marked by a radical unity of peoples from the word go. And uh, there's a faith leader, an activist, and she says, Jesus chose to be perfected for eternity in the form of one of his own creations. Jesus came to earth. He took on a body. He died and was raised. And when he ascended, he went with his body, and he will be in that body forever. So he chose for eternity to be perfected in the form of one of his own creations. What will the saints who worship white Jesus do when they see a brown-skinned Savior lifted up above creation? The answer, I hope, is we will say, yes, yes, he's beautiful. Um, it is our job, this fire that God has put into us is to move out and to begin to ref our, for our churches and communities to reflect that beautiful family of God that is not divided by language, culture, skin tone. In the, in the Harry Potter books, there is this, uh, this mirror called the Mirror of Erised. I think it comes in the first book. And when, you stand, when Harry finds it, he shows it to Ron. And what happens when you stand in front of the Mirror of Erised, which Erised is just desire spelled backwards, 
is that you see that which you most want. And so when Ron Weasley stands in front of it, he says to Harry, I see myself, I'm, I'm head boy, and I'm holding the Quidditch cup, and he has all these accolades and accomplishments on him from his time at Hogwarts. That's what he really desired. And when Harry stands in front of the mirror, what does he see? He sees his parents, who he never knew, because his great desire is to be with his family. And in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he stood before the mirror of Erised. And he invited, he invited us in that act, in those, the life, his life, death, and resurrection, he invited us to come look into that mirror with him so he could tell us what he sees. And you know what he saw? He saw his family. He saw his family all around him, gathered to him, reconciled together. And when you're still and quiet enough to hear your own heart beating and to hear the desires of your heart, down beneath it all, can't you kind of hear it too? Can't you kind of feel that desire to be caught up into that family and see your father and to know it's all going to be okay? Dumbledore said that people had wasted away and died in front of that mirror because they couldn't look away from it. If God gives us a glimpse of that, how could we ever look away? And a question for us is what if COVID is your opportunity to stop coming to church to get something and to start being part of doing something together, of carrying the fire together? What if, when are we going to regather? Isn't the best question to ask right now. Maybe something like, how can I make sure that people who are very different than me can experience God's mercy is a better question because it takes you from a posture of waiting to a posture of moving towards others. While we are not gathering, who will you gather? Who will you gather near to? Who will you bring around you to feel the warmth of that fire, to experience the mercy of God. And simply put, I mean, if we think about things about our, about, our, about our church, and I love our church, y'all. Our church is a, just a source of constant joy for me and for my family, and it is a privilege to serve with you and to be with you and to be someone who it's jo my job is to help equip you to do the work of ministry, and that is beautiful. When we think about our church, and then we think about the neighborhood around us of Armour, or we think about our city as a whole. And if you think about it as a pie with all these different kinds of people represented in our, in our um, neighborhood or in our city, shouldn't it be the case that our church is just like a small version of that same pie, reflecting all the different kinds of folks, whether they believe or not? Wouldn't it be a failure of what we're actually called to do if it was just a slice? 
of that pie? If, if it's true that the Holy Spirit is real and we have the fire, why would our church be divided and inequitable like our city is? And if our church isn't yet containing that beautiful diversity of kinds of people, and this isn't like a racial ethnic thing alone, this is just the different kinds of folks around. If it doesn't reflect that why, and if we spend the time with the why, then we can come with hope to say, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You know, the, the church in Rome where Paul had written this letter, had these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians, like I said. I'm going to wrap this up. And some of them had actually been there in Jerusalem at Pentecost when the Spirit came. And y'all, they were having a really, really hard time figuring out how to live together. Because they were polarized like us. That's good news. This isn't the first time we've gone through this. They made all kinds of wild assumptions about each other, blamed each other for stuff, didn't take each other seriously, and constantly had to repent of that. But y'all, they were getting their jerseys dirty. The fact that they were struggling meant that they were getting their jerseys dirty, that they were carrying the fire, because they knew that Jesus had kindled this fire of the Holy Spirit, and he had sent it to them and placed it in them and made all around them holy ground. Uh, If you've ever read Cormac Cormac McCarthy's um, No Country for Old Men or seen the film, it's it's really good. Um, It's hard, you know, but the way that um, the way that it ends is this sheriff, Ed Tom, he's played by Tommy Lee Jones in the in the um, film. He's sitting with his wife at the breakfast table and talking about um the dreams that he had had the night before. And he says that he was, it was in olden times, he was riding a horse through the mountains of a night with his father. And it was dark and cold, and they were heading through this mountain pass, and he saw that his father was going on up ahead, and he had his blanket wrapped around him, and in the blanket he was carrying a horn with fire in it, like they did in, in the olden days, he said. And his dad went on ahead, and he could see the fire. It was like the light of the moon. And he said, I knew he was fixing to make a fire somewhere in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that when I got there, he would be there. And then I woke up. Jesus has carried the fire and led us And when we get there, in all that dark and all that cold, He will be there, building an even bigger fire for us to gather around. Jesus rescued you. Jesus offers to rescue you now. He gave us the fire that makes all things holy so that his mercy could be experienced by people unlike us. 
and be experienced by us from people unlike us. He carried the fire. Let's go. It's time to wake up. Because, and we'll close right here, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's hope together and then move. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, send your fire again to us. Lord, help us to get off the bench and get dirty so that other people can experience your mercy, Lord Jesus, and so that we can experience your mercy from others. Give us courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.